Hey, this is Adam Starling. I'm the senior pastor at Victory Family Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray this message will inspire you, encourage you, and hopefully challenge you to become everything that God has called you to be. Enjoy the message. guys are here. Man, I love the one o'clock because I'm going to be honest, man. I, I get tired by this time of day, but one o'clock is here, man. I get this new fresh wind, fresh fire from you guys. And so, man, thanks for being here today. If you're a guest, man, super honored that you were here. Thanks for being here, man. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor and super honored that you were here in this place. It's been a good day, man, all around. We've been in this series for several weeks now talking about these different groups of people that Jesus hung out with. And we've been talking about the idea of getting closer, taking more steps closer to Jesus. And one of the ways, just practically speaking, that you can do that, uh, we now have a program that's off and on that we intentionally do that. It's called Wednesday Night Sunday School. And so we have a little bit of a problem here at Newcastle that uh, the problem is there's so many teenagers, there'd be 130 teenagers on a Wednesday night in here, which is an incredible problem to have. There's no place for us uh, post 18 years old, old, old people, I'll call us over 18. That's what I'm saying. There's no place for us. But the school has so graciously allowed us to use their facility. And historically, we've been over there at the admin building in the auditorium. Well, the week I was gone on vacation, uh, you guys were actually in the field house, which quite frankly is a cooler room. It's a really cool room. And so we get to use that room moving forward. And so this Wednesday night, I mean, it's an opportunity. We're starting a new series this Wednesday night. How many would say this? How many would agree to this statement? How many guys say you're busy? Just busy in general. Like it's busy enough like to sign up. I'm too busy to sign up for that. So I've noticed this about myself. Like a lot of times if you ask me, and I don't even mean to, it's the truth. How you doing, Matt? I'm good, I'm busy, but it's a good busy. Like that's kind of one of my things. Like I say that all the time without even realizing we're just busy. I consider myself a fabulous multitasker, I think. But then I think, well, darn it, I forgot two of those tasks. And so I'm a multitasker, but I forget half of what I'm doing most of the time. And so I think it's unbelievably timely. But I want to show you guys, just give you a snippet of the study. We are starting this Wednesday night that will be over in the field house. But check this study out. It'll be on the screen behind me. The Christian philosopher Dallas Willard once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day and said, quote, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The longer that I sit with Willard's thesis, that hurry is the great enemy, that it's the issue underneath so many of the other issues of our day and age, from outrage culture to chronic anxiety to the epidemic of burnout to the rise of loneliness and the breakdown of the family and the social cohesion and political polarization, so many things, the more I think that he was onto something. Pathological busyness Distraction and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. I believe that the call to follow Jesus in our day is a call to slow down and match our pace of life to His, to take on what He called the easy yoke. An easy life is not an option, but an easy yoke is. There is a better way to live, a way to carry the weight of life with ease and with love and with joy and with peace. It's the way of Jesus, the slow, unhurried, open to interruption, 
relaxed, present to God and people and your body and the moment way. And all of you are invited. So super excited about this study coming up. Just to be honest, I didn't tell anybody else this. To be honest, this was Julie's, actually my wife's idea about this study. And she said, I'm going to be honest with you, she said, you're not going to like it. And I said, Why? Why? I was offended actually that she said that. And so I, too, I think I am. Like my life, I just get free, I just, I get fueled on busyness and maybe to the point of, of, of a problem. And so, man, we're going to study, we're going to learn and grow together. Okay. So let's get into it. Let me just see who are the married folks in the room. Let me see who you are. Where are you at? Where are you at? Yeah. So proudly raise your hands. And so, man, I have been married to my lovely bride for 17 years. I remember, I remember our first date was to Applewood in North OKC. You guys remember Applewoods? Come on, Fritters. What happened to that place, man? That place went out of business. But I remember that date. I remember after there, we left and we went to Quell Springs Mall to watch a movie. I remember like it was just yesterday. I remember our wedding day. I remember the Big 12 Championship basketball going on. I was in the groom's room watching that. They couldn't find me. I was just watching the game before the, the wedding started. But I remember it. I remember like the wedding itself, like gathered with all of our family and friends from each side of us just to be there and to help us start our life together. I I remember distinctly, I remember our honeymoon. I remember going to Jamaica. I'd never been anywhere like that before in my entire life. And I thought, uh, man, we got there. And I don't know why I thought this, but I thought when we landed, everybody probably wants to rob me. I don't know why I thought that, but I'm just like, man, where are they at? Where are they at? They're always trying to rob me, I thought. And so first time I've ever been to an all-inclusive resort we went to, and so, which really means you've already paid for it, so it feels free. And so I remember the first night there at, on our honeymoon, like I went to the restaurant and I thought, it only makes logical sense that I try to order what I think is the most expensive thing on the menu. That's how you get your money's worth. And so I remember I ordered this, this, uh, this piece of fish and it came out and I was like, that's about two ounces. Like, is that what we're eating tonight? She, the waiter said, no, 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 you can keep ordering. I said, okay, already start a steak. Keep it coming, keep it coming. Like, I remember all these things. I remember the day we landed in Uganda when we adopted our boys. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember... About six years ago, I remember we praying, Julie and I, thinking about like, are we going to take a position at Victory Family Church? I was at a church for nine and a half years. I thought, man, is this what God has for us? I remember April 7th, 2019, when we planted this campus like it was yesterday. Like I remember all of these mountaintop moments, and you probably do also. But you know what else I remember? I remember shortly after Julie and I got married, we got a call that her grandpa was at the hospital and he probably wasn't going to make it. And we rushed to the hospital to get there only to find out that we were too late. Before he got there, he had passed away. It wasn't but a few years later that I remember my grandfather in the hospital about to pass away. And I remember being in the waiting room because my dad was back there with him. And I remember praying, God, help them come to a terms of peace before he passes. My family, weird, man. It's almost not even real. Like at the end of the last two years of my grandpa was like this soap opera where my dad and grandpa didn't like each other, didn't talk. And I just remember like praying, God, help there be peace before he passes. I remember just five and a half years ago, sitting in my living room, my mom's house, and my mom and dad's house at the time. And I remember my dad laying in this hospital bed in the living room. And like, I remember like the final minutes, like the final hours of my dad being here on this earth. And I remember calling Julie because we didn't know that was time. And so she wasn't there. And I remember calling Julie and saying, I'm just going to tell him it's okay to go. Like, I'm going to tell him it's okay 
to go. Like I remember all of these things. Like I remember the mountaintop moments, but I also remember the valleys too. And here's what I've learned in my experience. Most oftentimes, whether it be the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, most of the time you are with the characters in that story are the people in which you love the most. Like when you think back, I think about the people that I love the most are always in those moments. So the closer you are to someone, the more likely they're going to be in the memories of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Well, we're in the second to the last week of this series. We've been talking about this idea of becoming closer to Jesus. And we've talked about the crowd. We've talked about the 5,000. We've talked about the 70. We've talked about the 12. And today I want to talk about the three. I think it's intrinsic inside of us that most of us think the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we move to the circle of these relationships, naturally our life is going to now be up and to the right. Like that's just a natural thing. The more I get closer to Jesus, the more mountaintop moments I'm going to experience. The closer I get, the more promotions I'll get. When I get closer to Jesus, the anxiety and the fear in my life will just stop. When I move closer, all of my relationships will suddenly just be all healed. Because you and I, there's nothing wrong with this, but we do, myself included. We love the scriptures that say, I'm the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. We are blessed as we go in. We are blessed as we go out. God will give you the desires of your heart. We love these mountaintop Moments, And I think sometimes, maybe like marriage, we begin to think that following Jesus just naturally means there's fixing to be more of these mountaintop moments. There's more blessing and less suffering. But when you get to the three, when you find yourself on this path to the three, you come to realize, really, the closer you get to Jesus... It's not really that life gets all this much easier and that everything goes your way and you're never going to suffer the evils of this world any longer. No, when you get to the three, you realize that it's in the mountains and in the valleys and in the highs and in the lows and the good times and the bad that God is with you and it's his presence is all that you need regardless of the situation you find yourself in. The three... It's not an easy place to be, quite frankly. We talked a lot about sacrifice last week, and goodness, the three is going to require a whole lot from us. It's going to require some sacrifice, some willingness to follow Jesus to places, frankly, that not a lot of people want to go. To be in the three, you finally realize if God is with you, that's all that you need. I'm not saying that the blessings of this world aren't incredible that God gives us. I'm just saying once you arrive here, you can literally have the attitude, those things can fall away as long as I got God, as long as I got God. Because in the three, if you're a follower of Jesus, he takes you to the place of glory and suffering. And so the three, you may have already picked this up, is really represented by Peter, James, and John. These guys were followers of Jesus. They, were, they had the membership and the 12 disciples. That's who these guys are. But there are a few instances in Scripture that I find super fascinating that Jesus invites those three guys, nobody else, to come with him to experience some things that, quite honestly, nobody else got to experience. And so I'm going to look at the couple of those today. And it's going to require us to, to get a little heady, a little Bible teaching here, if, that's, if you're cool with that this, this afternoon. So to open your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, 
we'll look at verse 28 through 36. It's page 814 in those hardbacks that are kind of placed everywhere. It says this, starting at verse 28. Verse 28 says, Now about eight days after these saying, he took with him Peter, John, and James. Those are the three we're talking about. He didn't take anybody else. And they went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. They're talking about Jesus. And behold, two men were talking with him. What? Moses and Elijah. We're talking about Old Testament characters, but we're in the New Testament now, right? It's an interesting passage. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. They were tired. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out from the cloud. Now there's a voice involved in a cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So let's just be honest. This passage is a trip. Like there was years, man, I remember reading this passage like what in the world is going on here? Like I was even nervous to even preach this passage. So this, this passage historically is known as the transfiguration, right? And so it's, it's one place in those scriptures that I think you just kind of think like you scratch your head and you think like what's going on here? Like what is transfiguration? What does that even mean? Even the gospel writers have a difficult time explaining what's actually going on here. If you look at Matthew's gospel, he says his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And then Mark says his clothes became so white, even if you bleached them, your own clothes would look nothing as white as his clothes became. And then here in Luke, I love the adjective, he says his clothes became dazzling white. I don't know if this is something that we fully grasp today and understand what this really means, but it, but it, it, it appears to me it's this kind of sort of metaphysical, awe-inspiring, where Jesus' divinity shined through his humanity. Because we know Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And it seems that those two realities kind of collide on this mountain. So look again at verse 32. 32 says, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, these three guys got to experience this. They saw the glory and the two men. So they saw the glory of God and our two Old Testament characters that got to be on the scene. Why? Because at the three, you will experience the glory of God. You get to experience the glory of God. Glory, kind of an interesting word we use from time to time, in a spiritual sense, kind of refers to this high status of honor or, or greatness and power that would be acknowledged by those around. So for the glory of God, if you've been in the church at all for very long, you hear that. For the glory of God, for the glory of God, we do this. What we mean by that is all praise and glory belongs to him and to him alone. So we see the glory of God reflecting God's presence. And that is likely the primary what's going on here in this, this gospel of Luke. The disciples now, for sure, saw Jesus not only as an incredible teacher, though he was, 
not only as a great man, though he was, this revealed truly, this is God with us. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior, the one that was promised for a couple thousand years ahead of time. Goodness, he's here. He is on the scene. He's now bringing God's kingdom to this earth. This is not just man. This is God. And thankfully, he's come to be with us. So they experience his glory, and they did so as Jesus was conversing on this mountain with two heroes of the Hebrew faith, Moses and Elijah. If you didn't pick that up, we're talking about Moses, the one that God spoke to in a burning bush in the Old Testament, right? Like these guys suddenly back on the scene. And they would know this. These disciples, they didn't call it the Old Testament, but they would know the Torah. They would understand this story. They would recognize, I don't know if they had pictures, but they would recognize Moses. Like we're talking to Moses and Elijah. And so naturally their brains, again, didn't have numbers then, would have went Exodus 33 though. Like would have went back there when God told his people, the Israelites, to go into the land that he promised them. You remember that? God promised his people this promised land. They had already been freed from Egypt. They had wandered in the desert, and now God was inviting them. Now, come into this promise. It's the moment they've been waiting for for so long. But there is a catch. God said, you can have the promised land, but I'm not going with you. Why? Because you've been rebellious, you've been whining, you've been disobedient, you've constantly turned your backs on me. A conversation you probably have with your children quite often, right? So yeah, the the promise, here's the promise. You can have the promise, but you can't have me. And Moses didn't love that. Moses didn't like that. In fact, he pleaded with God and said, if you don't go with us, like we don't want to go. In the Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. There's that glory again, that word again. The word describes this event to these disciples. That's the word that describes the experience they just had up on that mountain. In a moment where Moses had been granted permission to take hold of the promise that had been promised for so long, the promise that Israel had been waiting for for so long, he said, you can keep the promise because I just want you. You can keep the promise, I just want you. Because Moses understood the presence of God was more important than the promise of God. He didn't want the promise without the God of the promise. I grew up in a a small town. Uh, When I met my wife, actually, uh, I'd met her and I told her I'm from a small town. And she said, I'm from a small town too. I said, you are? Where are you from? She said, Ardmore. I said, no, 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 I'm from Prague. That's, that's like a metropolitan area. That's New York City to me. Like that's a big city. And so explain I was from Prague. And I, I think back on my past growing up in this small town, there's nothing really special about the town I grew up in. Like we had a taco mile. That was sweet. I remember when we got that taco mile. I remember when we got that. We had a Ken's pizza, which is still the best pizza in the world, in my opinion. We had the filling station, which is like an off-brand Chili's. Basically some owner just owned it. The chunk chicken basket. Oh, fire. So good. Like I have these memories but nothing really unique. If you wanted to shop for groceries, you went to the Prague IGA. That was your only option that you could buy your groceries in town. I guess we didn't have a lot to do for you young people. We would do something called drag main. It has nothing to do with smoking, just drag main. You would drag main. And, and what that means is you would spend 
countless hours wasting gas is what you would do. And in Prague, you would drive your car and you'd take a big circle around Ken's Pizza down 62 and you'd come to the only stop sign in town, hang a right, go south, go out to the, the, the car wash and turn around and just do that over and over. But you could afford to do that because gas was really cheap back then. It wasn't a big deal. So I don't know, like there's nothing to really speak of. Now, you guys probably know about the infant baby Jesus, the shrine. You know about that sign on I-40. You probably know about that about Prague. And I, I've been asked multiple times when someone says you're from Prague, they're like, oh, the infant baby Jesus. And I, I don't even know what that means hardly. Like I don't remember, I don't know, ex- I should do a little research before I preach about it. I don't really know exactly what it was, except I know that the Catholic church there in town, I knew a lot of good Catholic people that had a, uh, they had the, I think it's actually a replica of something that's at the Vatican, I believe. I'm going to confess some sin to you right now. This is pre-Christ. This is pre-calling in my life that I knew about it. So we were freshmen in high school. And I remember, and so the, the Catholic church was open 24 hours a day. That was a mistake for us. And so one day, I don't know if it was the spirit of God driving us, probably not. But I thought, if the infant baby is here, I think we got to get close to him. I just feel like we should check this thing out. And so we entered into the Catholic church. It's open. It's a beautiful church. Even to this day, it's beautiful. Stained glass everywhere. That moon shined through the windows. And God love them. It's an incredible place, I'm sure. And God loving people there. But that's the creepiest place in the world at 2 a.m. Like, it's unbelievably creepy, man. And so we went in there trying to find the infant baby. We couldn't find him. So we never found him. But supposedly it's there. You might know about that. Anybody know about the Preg Kolachi Festival? You know about that? Can I just set some people straight right now? Just kind of just correct this for y'all right now. 7-Eleven, if y'all work for them, just do better. Like the little, little croissant, that ain't a kolachi. Quit calling that a kolachi. A kolachi is a Danish, like a fruit-filled thing. A little, that's a pig in a blanket. Quit calling that a kolachi. I'm from Prague. Like I know the difference. So I think back to where I grew up. And there's nothing really special about that town. But I'm not moving back anytime soon. But I wouldn't change anything about the way I grew up. Like I wouldn't change anything about the small town that I grew up in. You see, it wasn't the town that made it awesome. It was the presence of the people that I was closest to. So even here, it's not the mountain. There's nothing special about this mountain. It's the the place of glory for these three disciples, but it was God that was with them on that mountaintop. And it's in the three, you finally stop focusing on the glory of this world and the financial successes that are all so chasing, we're all so chasing after and all the fame that we all so crave. It's in the three where you decide all I want is the glory of God. Like if I don't have his presence, well, then I don't want the promotion. If I don't have his presence, then I don't want success. If I don't have his presence, well, then I don't want or need man's approval. You can keep it. You can keep the promise. You can keep the success. You can keep the nice clothes, the nice house. You can keep the Instagram, the NIL deals. You can keep everything because I just want you. That's what you decide. Like when I'm here in the three, I just want you, Jesus. Like that's all I want. I want your presence. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with success at all. Just make sure you don't get the success without the Savior. Nothing wrong with success. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the promise. Just make sure you don't get the promise without the promise keeper. Nothing wrong at all with desiring things. Just make sure your desire for things doesn't become greater than your desire for the creator of all things. The Bible says that all good and perfect gifts comes from God. But all these blessings, all these giftings that God gives us, your worship is never meant to terminate on those things. 
So whatever that is, I don't care if it's good food, like whatever it is, the, the glory of God can shine through that. But the idea would be that thank you so much for these blessings that it makes me turn from the, the product, the, the creation to the creator. And I allow my worship not to stop here, but to stop on the creator of everything. Nothing, nothing wrong with desiring things. But the three is where you get the glory and blessings and the favor of the world. It's, 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 it's not necessarily where you get it. It's where you become obsessed with it. You become obsessed with the glory and his presence and you understand it's way better than anything the world ever has to offer. To be in the three, you gotta be willing to say, God, I just want you. Like, I just want you. Regardless of what happens in my life, I just want you. The last couple circles of the last couple weeks, man, they're really easier to measure, right? So if you think about the 70, you can tell, well, yeah, yeah, I'm in the 70 because the 70 is where you, you, you begin to start serving God and his people. So maybe that's in your neighborhood at work or maybe it's in this church or God's church. You start serving him and his people. Or even last week, the 12, that's easy because that's where you pick up your cross and you begin following him. So remember, I'll countless times say this over and over. You don't do those things to get saved, you're saved, that's why you begin doing those things. But they are measurable a lot more. So the first last couple of weeks, it's about doing these things. The three is not about doing. The three is about being. It's simply about being with Jesus. We get to experience the glory of God where worship becomes my whole life and not just 60 minutes on a Sunday. Like it becomes that, it becomes where my prayer life becomes about who I actually am and not simply what I need a genie in a bottle. Like it's when I pray, and the Bible says to pray without ceasing. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that you gather at the prayer area for 24 hours a day with your head bowed and your eyes closed. No, it means to have a lifestyle of prayer. Like my mind never stops thinking about Jesus. That's what it's like to be in the three, where scripture is an integral part of our life, where I don't just seek to understand it, but I seek to obey it. That's what I want to do. We experience the glory when we come to the realization he's all that we need. C.S. Lewis said it in The Weight of Glory. I love this. He says, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God. So the guy who has God and everything else in this world has no more than the guy who just has God. He's everything. John Piper said it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. To be in the three, you have to get to the place where his presence is all that you need. That's all that you want. I just want the presence of God. I love the blessings of God, but I just want the face of God. I just want the presence of God. Look at, look at 33. I love this text. It's, just a, it's one of the funniest verses in the entire Bible to me. I love this text. He says this, and the men were parting from him. So the other guys are, are, are rolling. I don't know where they're going, but they're leaving. Peter says to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. It's just a funny quote to me. Like, like he just sees these Old Testament figures. And he's like, you know, God, it's pretty cool that we're here. Like, I think it's a good thing that we're here. Listen to what he wants to do. Now let's make some tents. I know how to build. Let's build some tents and have a tent city over here. Like I'll build you one, I'll build Moses one, and I'll build Elijah one. Peter seemed to want to stay on the mountain forever, Right? And so do I. Like there's parts of me that like, I love mountaintop moments, but you and I understand life doesn't work like that at all. 
all three, this is what I love, all three gospels following this, there's three of the gospels that, that follow this transfiguration, that mention the transfiguration, all three of them are followed up directly with the story of a boy who is tormented by a demon that the disciples cannot seem to cast out. So it's interesting, right? It goes straight from this mountaintop, incredible, almost false feeling like what moment experiencing the glory of God to immediately being face-to-face with the suffering of this world. Because with following Jesus, it's, it's full of both, the glory and the suffering. All three you experience, at the three you experience the glory of God, but you also will experience the suffering of God. I mean, look at a different passage that these three guys got to tag along. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 32. And it says, but he went to the place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. Those guys got to go again. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. So you don't understand, he's about to be crucified. He's in the garden right before this is going to go down. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed, if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so this passage shows us suffering, the pain that Jesus was experiencing, ready to go to the cross. What's fascinating to me here, though, the disciples aren't suffering at all here. It's only Jesus. Now, we know that's coming. If you were here last week, you know, it didn't end well for any of them. So you know that, but in this instance, there's no suffering the disciples on their behalf. It's only Jesus. But in this moment, Jesus invites these guys into his suffering, which is why I think a lot of people don't want to get this close to Jesus. Because in the three, not only are you invited to participate in your own suffering, but in a sense, you're invited to to participate in the suffering of the people around you. Why? Because proximity produces compassion. What what do I mean by that? And we we know this to be true. You can scroll through Facebook today and you can come across the story of someone you don't know that maybe has some illness or disease. And it does make you sad for sure. In fact, you may shed a tear. You may send that to your spouse and say, look at this story, It's, it's crazy. But the reality is, myself included, you scroll on. Dinner's going to be the same that night. You're going to continue. But but I'm telling you, look at the difference. But if someone close to you gets cancer, your whole world stops. Your whole world stops. All of a sudden, nothing else matters except for them to make it through. Why? Because proximity produces compassion. The closer you are to Jesus the more your heart will begin to break for the things that break his heart. You find yourself so far away from Jesus. I'm not just saying that I know more about Jesus than you. The Bible tells you all these things that break his heart. If you're so far away, you'll scroll on. You'll scroll on when you look in the world. But when you get close to Jesus, you'll see the things in this world that break our Lord's heart and they'll begin to break your heart. There's nothing that breaks the heart of the Father more than today than the suffering of this world. And listen, this may sting a bit, one o'clock. The fact is, many of you don't want to follow Jesus to this place because like the disciples, you'd rather stay asleep 
than to see the suffering that's around you. But at the three, you can't ignore the injustices of the world anymore. At the three, you can't see people suffering who were created in your God's image and shrug your shoulders and say, it's not really my problem. No, it is. It is my problem. It is my problem. So if I'm going to be in the, the three, the scriptures call us to mourn with those who mourn, to carry one another's burdens. We often ignore those commands. Why? Because we've got enough burdens of our own to carry. And the truth is we do. But the reality is if I'll carry some of yours, they'll feel lighter. If you'll carry some of mine, your burdens will feel lighter. I don't think we have a burden contest up here. Who's burdened more? But the reality is the church is set up that I'd carry some of that for you and you carry some of that for me. I just think, I don't think God's mad. I think we just need to get a hold of this. I just think if we're ever going to make a dent in the suffering of this world, like if we're ever going to move the needle, so to speak, and begin actually providing care for the widows, the orphans, and the, and the poor, if we're going to fulfill the mission of God that he's given us to help the broken, the sick, and the hurting, then we first have to allow God to break our heart for the things that breaks his. And it's at the three that Jesus invites us to experience the glory and his suffering. It may be that following Jesus this close brings you in proximity to suffering. It may be suffering of your own. In James 1, it tells us to count it as joy when we face trials, which makes no sense for someone who's not a believer. Acts 5, it says the apostles actually rejoiced because they'd been counted worthy of suffering. John 16 says that Jesus says, in the world you will have troubles. So following Jesus does not exempt you from suffering. In fact, it guarantees you'll experience suffering some point in your life. I'm telling you, family, if your theology doesn't embrace suffering, you're in trouble. If you've bought in along somewhere along the way that you serve in this way, you do X, Y, and Z and that you're exempt for suffering, that's not the gospel. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not true. You had better be able to embrace suffering and watch suffering and still understand that your God is still good. But please understand, in the midst of that suffering, he's with you. Your God is with you and he's always at work on your behalf. Please don't see suffering in your own life and think God's not involved. Listen, God is not taken surprised by anything. God wants you to come to him and he wants you to confide in him and confess to him and tell him what's going on in your life. But let me tell you, you've never shocked him. Like I've never shocked God. There's not sirens in heaven that are going off when something happens in my life. He's fully aware. He's fully aware and he's working on your behalf. So it's in the three we're invited to experience God's glory and his suffering. And it's these two ideas that even Scripture often seems kind of contrast with each other. Glory representing, right, these mountaintop moments and suffering kind of representing these valleys. Glory as in the presence of God and suffering seemingly the absence of him which I find so interesting that when you see the way in which Jesus describes his own journey to the cross is just fascinating to me. 
So in John 12, 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to suffer. That makes sense. Like he's fixing to suffer. No, it's not the word he used. He uses the word glorified. This time has come that the Son of Man is to be glorified. So the cross of Jesus, the moment of God's greatest suffering, the place of torture, the the place of pain, it's also the very place where God's glory was revealed. Because it's in the suffering that God desires to make his glory known the most. So I wonder... At the three, maybe it's not where you're so close to Jesus that everything just goes your way. But it's the place where you realize the suffering is where God desires to reveal his glory the most. So let me ask you, are you suffering? Is your marriage suffering? Are you struggling with your your kids struggling? You have unfulfilled dreams that you know God has called you to do? Listen to me, God's not absent from that. He's in the middle of it. In fact, God wants to reveal his glory in the middle of that suffering. So lean in. Let's lean into God's presence above all else and let him bring you comfort and peace as you and I begin to trust him even in the suffering. And so maybe you'd say, I already found myself moved by suffering of the world. Like you've got this movement in your heart about it. Well, listen, God wants to make his glory known in that space. So any suffering that he's already opened your eyes to, understand he wants to make his glory known in that place. And maybe he's invited you so close to that suffering so he can use you, so he can use you to bring healing to it. So what dreams has God placed in your heart to help bring an end to some suffering? He set this thing up. He's allowed that suffering to happen, but now maybe he wants to use you to bring his glory in the middle of it. Not many people. It's just a reality. Not many people follow Jesus this close. But my prayer is that you and I, we would become people who make the glory of God our greatest desire and our greatest priority. That you and I, man, we would become obsessed with the more about his presence than anything in this world. That we'd ask God how he might use us. God, how might you use me to bring your glory to a situation of suffering, that I would make your presence be known. Listen, family, let's follow Jesus to the place of glory and suffering. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your glory. And we thank you for the opportunity to experience and to see your glory. Those of us, maybe we've grown cold or callous to your glory and we just don't even see it, God. Wake us up to your glory, God. Reveal your glory to us, God. And in a weird way, it almost feels weird to pray. Thank you, God, even for the suffering, God, that your glory might be put on display in the midst of suffering. And so, God, I, I do pray you would lend us your eyes. You would supernaturally lend us your ears, your heart, So for the suffering that's in the world would begin to break our hearts like it does yours. Use us, God. We want to bring your glory. We want your glory to to shine all around, God. Use us, God. Use us. God, you love us. You give us a peek into your glory because we're your children, God. And we're so thankful for that. And so maybe you would say this with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you would say, "I, I don't know that I'm a child of God. 
but I'm not. I've never really confessed my sins to him. I've never put my faith in him. I've never chosen to follow him. But today, for whatever reason, man, God's doing something inside of you and your heart just feels stirred. Not in a weird way. It just feels different, man. You just feel like, man, this is what I want. I don't know what this whole thing looks like. I don't know what tomorrow's gonna look like. But today, man, I just feel like I wanna follow after him. Not only did, did Jesus come to this earth to bring his glory, he came to recruit, to adopt sons and daughters like yourself. And so maybe you would say, I've never experienced the love of God. I've never experienced the grace of God, but I want to, I want that in my life. I wanna surrender my life to him. Never done that before. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? And today's my day. I want to surrender my life to him. Yeah. Today's my day. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to follow after you. Why don't we all pray this as prayers of family together? Pray this way. Father God, thank you for saving me. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of those sins. Thank you for the sacrifice. I'm following you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it or share it on social media and tag at VFC underscore Newcastle. If you haven't already, download the Victory Family Church app to stay connected with everything that's happening throughout the week. Thanks again for listening. Have an awesome week.